Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. Offering you gastronomic wisdom from the pros every weekend because... If you're hungry for beautiful food and remarkable wines and juicy conversation, well, then you don't want to miss this show. This is food conversation that fits your life. I share menu ideas and recipes for busy people, from budget-friendly meals to winter braises and salads and sweets, holiday inspiration, gifts of food, and more. This show shares recipes for all your needs. And this is your show, your culinary and lifestyle show, and an easy way to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment as well. I like to kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts. I hope you think it's my waxing poetic on a topic, an ingredient, a method, something that will make you the best cook you know. And so far from Thanksgiving, uh, probably up until what, just yesterday, I have bought so many bags of Brussels sprouts. I can't even tell you. Yes, we had them deliciously for Thanksgiving. And then I've been filling my HSN or Home Shopping Network uh, triple burner. If you haven't seen it, I'm very proud of it. In fact, it is a fan favorite at HSN. It's the appliance that every great cook should have. And you can catch me on HSN uh, in the coming days and weeks and months, of course. Uh, Proud to be part of the HSN family. But I fill my triple burner pot with Brussels sprouts, and then I seem to eat them all in the days until my next airing, so I buy some more. So I wanted to share some Brussels sprouts love. I know that many of you must adore Brussels sprouts like I do, but there's something about them similar to cilantro, right? You either love them or you don't. Now, I thought I would take a few minutes to reaffirm your wintry desire for rich greens, hearty roots, roasted goodness, uh, whatever you want to call it. It's where Brussels sprouts fall on a menu. And despite its faithful appearance on holidays, the Brussels sprout is actually the American vegetable villain. Now, this role used to be played by spinach until Popeye rescued it in the 1930s. And then next came broccoli, which was loathed by the first President Bush, of course. But the Brussels sprout has made its way back to popularity. And here's the good news. If you don't think you love them, they taste remarkably delicious if you cook them properly. Now, I happen to love them raw and cooked and in many different ways. And I'm going to share with you my best tips and tricks for Brussels sprouts love. But caramelized and golden is the best way to make a Brussels sprout convert because they become so sweet and addictive. And it's true, as with most things, that the principle of cooking really applies here. And that is brown is flavor, right? One of the many important principles when it comes to mastering a technique. And it's almost without exception. 
as close as possible to the moment when something turns just before black, the better it's going to taste. I am not, by the way, encouraging char. I'm telling you that caramelization is golden. And I mean that not only in color, uh, but in description. Now, the browning of the natural sugars in the food, which is the Maillard reaction, is that complex interplay of sugars and amino acids. And that's what's responsible, of course, for the crust on a great steak. But to the tongue, it's all the same. It's great flavor. So Brussels sprouts belong to the plant group called brassica, which includes cauliflower and broccoli and cabbage. And all of these vegetables are remarkably resistant to burning. You can actually throw cauliflower florets in a 500 degree oven and roast it to uh, within an inch of its life, those florets. And it tastes delicious. Brussels sprouts are really the same way. You just cook the heck out of them and you toss them with some balsamic vinegar and a little bit of honey and you call it a day. So here I sit talking to you, telling you the gospel of Brussels sprouts ought to be preached. And that is Brussels sprouts need caramelization. That is, of course, if you're learning to love the Brussels sprout. Now, Uh, In advance of this conversation, I researched the most loved Brussels sprout recipe across the country, and it's the Momofuku founder David Chang's recipe that reigns supreme. He cooks a bunch of bacon, fries it up in a skillet, then the sprouts are caramelized, he roasts them in the rendered bacon fat, he adds a squirt of sriracha and a splash of lime juice, and you get this spicy, tart, sweet, salty, bacony sprout. Now, I have made the recipe. It's fabulous, by the way, and you should try it. But I think that they're just as good with a little olive oil and balsamic. You need high heat, salt, fat, and some kind of acid. So I recommend you buy the bag of cleaned Brussels for ease of use and cut them in half if they're not halved already because the Brussels sprouts have been running gargantuan lately. Really, they have. And a high temperature oven is best. 425 degrees will garner them golden brown and crisp. And then, as I mentioned, uh, balsamic vinegar and honey, super simple. Make extra. Because I have had friends say that they are as addictive as French fries. And I think they are. Now, um, I actually saw a recipe recently that was a classic twist on everyone's favorite flavor. I happen to love buffalo. Yes, they were buffalo Brussels sprouts. That sounds good, right? Roasted Brussels sprouts doused with buffalo sauce and finished with crumbled blue cheese. I'm going to try it. Now, when I mentioned that I love Brussels sprouts every way, I meant it. I really like raw shaved Brussels sprouts in a salad with a bright lemon vinaigrette and shavings of Parmesan cheese. And Parmesan cheese and Brussels sprouts actually go together quite well. By the way, you should try the raw version. There's one version I don't love, I will tell you, of Brussels sprouts, and that is those that are boiled. It really accentuates that flavor of Brussels sprout. So I would steer clear, but the roasted caramelized version, oh yes, and the raw, lovely, light, green substitute for a salad version, for sure. And then there are lots of other ways to serve Brussels sprouts. You can actually use the leaves as a a lovely salad in place of uh, shaving them. Um, And there's lots of tips and tricks. In fact, if you'd like a leaf trick for Brussels sprouts, email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. I'll share my best recipe. And then you can saute those leaves, by the way, just simply in butter 
uh, add a little bit of cream, grated Parmesan, call it a gratin. And there you go. Now you have your Christmas side dish planned well in advance. I really do love Brussels sprouts and I hope you do too. And if you don't, forget all of your notions of what Brussels sprouts used to taste like. Because these little gems prepared correctly, I guarantee, will have the biggest non-believers asking for a second plate. Okay, that is my lecture on Brussels sprouts. And I feel better. I do. Okay, (laughs) time for food news this week. I have some new food finds to share with you, in fact, because things look a little different this year, but it doesn't mean that we can't still have new, fun, tasty treats. So if you're home gating or you're sitting out by the fire, I like to take advantage of winter flavors and Smirnoff introduced uh, two new zero sugar hard seltzers and they made black cherry and it's so good. So good. They also did cranberry lime this time. 90 calories, zero sugar, one carb. Pretty great, right? That's Smirnoff Seltzer. Check it out. Now, there's also something new you should know about. Uh, Sabra, the famous hummus maker, makes a dark chocolate dessert dip and spread. Yes, it is hummus, but I will tell you, it is chocolatey, decadent, delicious. It tastes just like chocolate pudding. It's plant-based, gluten-free, vegan, and only 80 calories per serving. And it is so delicious as a dipper for strawberries and pretzels and crackers and yum. And then last but not least, you know I love olives. I love Pearl's olives too. They're 100% grown and packed in sunny California, which is my home state. And did you know they make an extra large black olive that still fits on your fingers, but is such a mouthful? They're so good. Well, they've been running uh, an initiative, which I love. Use the hashtag DreamOlive. And they will donate a meal to Feeding America, up to 200,000 meals, in fact. So visit olives.com for details. And that, by the way, is good food news. Okay, grab a snack. Come on back. Because the great Alton Brown is here. Don't touch your dial, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio, celebrating the season. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. When I say that we have the best culinary thinkers on this show, I mean it. And there is a much-loved gentleman in the celebrity chef world who brought science and deep culinary thought to your television almost 20 years ago. Celebrity chef Alton Brown spent 14 years delighting us with food science on Good Eats and his creative genius continues. But in the meantime, he's COVID cooking on his hit YouTube show, Quarantine Kitchen. I have a personal connection to Alton from the third ever episode of Cutthroat Kitchen on Food Network, where I had the privilege of competing and proudly and humbly the strategy of winning. 
He is the two-time James Beard Award winner and Peabody Award winner, and he is gracing this show today to share his best tips on how you can embrace the at-home cooking revolution. Mr. Brown, I am very glad to have you here. Thank you, and welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, and yes, uh, thank you for uh, for being on uh, on Cutthroat Kitchen. I, I hope that was fun. Uh, it, it was. It was a, a crazy hoot, to be honest. And I still have aluminum foil saute pans framed uh, with pride. Uh, so <laughs> I remember now. Now I remember. That's what I needed to hear. Right it now. all comes back, right? So um, you're ever evolving, and I'm loving watching. I, I love that it's real and raw on Quarantine Kitchen because it's, I think, what we expect of you and what you're bringing to the at-home culinary revolution. But tell us about cooking during the pandemic, please. Well, you know, I think that one of the, if we're going to look at a bright side of all this, it's that we're home and we still have to cook. And I think that people are, are learning that they can embrace that in ways that they haven't before. True. Um, my, my advice to people has been, since it started, play with your food, experiment, use what you have, adapt. Um, and, and the other great thing is that since we're working at home so much more, we can kind of break up our cooking during the day. If you've got 10 minutes here, you've got 15 minutes there, you can slowly prep meals. Do your slicing and dicing in the morning. Uh, do your... Um, you know, make things like rice in the afternoon. And then sure. by the time the dinner rolls around, you don't have so much to do. Um, the other thing you can do is kind of mix up your meals. For instance, my wife and I have, have gotten to where our main breakfast meal is a salad for breakfast, <laughs> which I don't think either of us has ever, had ever done that before. Okay, why, why exactly are you eating salad for breakfast? Albeit it sounds very healthy and creative. Uh, what's in it? Well, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, some great examples of why this happened. Number one, when the uh, quarantine started, we decided to plant some lettuce out in a container on our deck. Ah. And the lettuce always looks better in the morning. <laughs> uh, so we have that. And then also salads, you can mix up all kinds of pantries. So, uh, for instance, hearts of palm, uh, which ah. come in a can and which last, you know, a thousand years. I love uh, hearts of palm, Alton. I love them. I do, too. It's a huge thing. And my wife is a big fan. Well, one of my childhood foods is always... Um, avocados, because I, I grew up in California, and my mom right. would put French dressing on top of my avocados. So what we did is we put this all, all together in, in a breakfast meal. And uh, mm-hmm. the kind of last little clicker for me was um, French dressing. I, I've been fortunate enough lately to be working with the folks at Healthy Choice on their new power dressing line, uh, which uses uh, uh, vegetable purees like cauliflower and um, red bell pepper and a tomato instead of relying on a whole lot of oil. And so I've been cooking with these a lot. Uh, but the flavors are so nostalgic from these classic mm. recipes, uh, you know, uh, Italian and, and, and ranch, things like that. And so we've been introducing that kind of thing into our food in a way to get nutrition, but also to get nostalgia into the sure. food. I like the idea of mixing up. I mean, you're getting all your fiber in the morning. I have a, a salad dressing memory from my childhood as well, Alton. My mother made a taco salad that was probably very novel at the time. She was very forward thinking. And it too had a French dressing. And I remember the big bowl. And that was such a big deal, right? When we would sit down for dinner and it was taco salad night. And, you know, seconds and thirds was always welcome. And I think I learned, becoming a, a chef, I think I learned that that was a great compliment. Like, if you asked for more, that was the first realization I had that, 
oh, this must be good, right? And so the chef is complimented. And so every time my mom made taco salad with uh, that French dressing and that distinct color, I, I very much recall it. I think the nostalgia is a very, very, very powerful thing. You know, we, we all too often think of comfort food as being something that's just loaded with fat. But that is not at all true. Aromas, colors, um, and, and certainly flavors uh, do, do a lot of that. In, in this day and age, we also need, because we're stuck at home, we need to keep our nutrition in mind. Yes. Um, and, and thankfully, there's been a lot of evolution of ingredients to help us with that. Um, is there a fried egg on this morning salad, or does it skew breakfast at all? Or are you, are you having breakfast for dinner? Well, sometimes no, we're huge egg fans. Yes. So very often we'll chop up hard-boiled eggs and put on this because I also really like that with, with the garden French dressing. Yeah. But it's not just a matter of, of, of breakfast for dinner or dinner for breakfast and, and moving things around. It's playing with, with the rules within those. Hmm. You know, dinner can still be dinner, but why not bring certain breakfast ingredients over to it? It's all just a matter of trying to keep your mind stimulated, your palate stimulated by playing with, with your food. We're, we're, so many of us are having a problem of falling into a rut falling into routine. And even with very few ingredients in your pantry, you can prevent that from happening if you're willing to play around with flavors and to play around with conventions. Yeah, but we always expect you to think outside the box, Alton. That's what we love about you. That's what you brought to the culinary world from a a food science perspective. Um, I would love to know if you will please share how the renovation and repair is going on Good Eats episodes. I'm not sure that they need so much work. I mean, when you bettered the biscuit, uh, we were all on board. Uh, but what can we expect? The renovation, we're actually right now starting tomorrow. In fact, uh, we're making brand new episodes. How exciting. Uh, we're, we're going into two months of production on brand new shows. But I have to tell you, some of those older shows, I look at them and it's like, yeah, I want to go back and change this. I want to go back and change that. Huh. You live, you learn. Sure. New ingredients come on the market. You know, That's uh, true. We started Good Eats, the internet was like AOL. You know? There was <laughs> nothing you could, you know, everything's changed about uh, ingredients. So I, I think they're worth going back and, and messing with. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I know all of us are. Will you continue Quarantine Kitchen on YouTube? It's the QQ. We're going to continue it no matter what because it's become date night for my wife and I. We, <laughs> we enjoy doing it so much that we said, well, we'll do it until there's only about five people watching. And then we're going to have to reach yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening, uh, but we we will continue to watch. I love, as I mentioned, it's very real. I love the music and the camaraderie. It's really nice to see you and your wife cook together. Uh, and uh, there's always something surprising and wonderful about watching Alton Brown on TV. It's what I've always loved about you. So um, I'm grateful that you graced this show. Uh, Thank you for sharing your salad for breakfast. You will inspire, no doubt, and we will continue to watch. We will look forward to as well uh, the return of the eats on Food Network. And did you ever find the Peabody Award? I did. It was in an old lunchbox. Oh, uh, that, that I found. Look, <laughs> I, I want to say about the salad. Last thing for your for your uh, for your listeners, if you uh, want the salad recipe, you can go to readysetEat.com and it's there. Fabulous, thank you, Alton Brown, in your radio. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Keep cooking. We will continue to watch. It was my pleasure. Thank you for being here. He is the Food Network true star, Alton Brown. And there are more good eats on the way, as you heard, gracing this show for the first time. And I'm delighted. Salad for breakfast? 
Okay, maybe. I'm going to go raid the fridge, grab a snack, and come on back. There's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. delicious it's divine it's food and wine welcome back chef jamie gwen in your radio talk about a talent danielle alvarez is a force born to a food loving cuban family in miami the lure of the kitchen took her to california and she worked in some of the finest restaurants across the the U.S., really. First at the French Laundry, then Boulette's Larder, where I have the most amazing meal memories, and then finally uh, under the great at Chez Panisse. She moved to Sydney, Australia in 2016 to head up the kitchen in a strikingly beautiful new restaurant called Fred's, and she and the restaurant won fast acclaim. They both continue to be rated among the best in the country. And it is no doubt a surprise why. The new cookbook release, the debut from Chef Danielle Alvarez, is an absolutely beautiful portrait of this glorious female chef's cuisine. It all rests on the foundation that a squeeze of lemon can elevate every dish. You find 100 plus recipes in the book like porchetta roasted pork shoulder and citrus salad with Meyer lemon dressing. And oh, I, I can't wait to make the fennel braised in chicken fat. All of these glorious dishes shared on the beautiful pages of Always Add Lemon by Di- Danielle Alvarez. And she's here to cook with us. And I'm so flattered and so delighted, Chef. I can't tell you. I'm a little bit beside myself. Oh, what a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. That's too generous, but I'm so happy to be here, too. I'm very glad to have you, and it is all very well-earned and deserved. Could you talk about your love affair with food? It screams from the pages, by the way. The book is beautiful. You should be very proud. It's very inspired. Um, But you even acknowledge uh, in the back of the book when you give praise to those that have supported you that your whole life changed with a phone call. I mean, this is really an extraordinary story that you have. Yeah, so I I grew up in Miami to family that, you know, couldn't couldn't make a meal without thinking about the next meal and had lots of family over all the time. My grandmothers both cooked beautifully. My mom cooked incredibly. So I grew up around a lot of incredible food, but mostly just rooted in Cuban culture. And then I, so I, maybe it was like more the advent of like food TV, but I started to get really engaged with making things a little bit differently. I was cooking at home on my days off. I studied art history at school, so nothing related, but it wasn't until a couple of years later that I just decided, all right, all I can think about is cooking and food. Maybe I should give that a go professionally, hmm. which, you know, in a family where no one had ever been in hospitality at all, it was a bit of a big step. So I went to cooking school. I got an internship in California and moved out there. Hmm. You know, thankfully, they took me at the French Laundry. I can't believe it still. And that's where I started to see that connection of where food grows and how it can taste so different when it's fresh or when it's organic or you buy it at the farmer's market. 
um, my eyes were open to so many different varieties of things that I didn't see in South Florida. Sure. And then from there, as you say, I, I worked at a lot of different restaurants in the Bay Area, and my last stop there was at uh, Chez Panisse, which really changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. You know, we would go in without recipes. We'd talk about the food. We'd taste the ingredients, and then we'd kind of go about making something delicious to serve at night. So it was at once totally terrifying, but also incredibly inspiring, and I worked with some incredible chefs. Um, no doubt. that really took the time to teach me a lot. And then mm. there it was a phone call from mm. an Australian friend that put me in touch with people here. Um, and, and I moved to Australia six years ago now. Amazing. You know, there are not many uh, extraordinarily talented chefs like yourself, Danielle, who have so many accolades that can say that Alice Waters gave them a cookbook endorsement that included the words, and I quote, she says, her food sings about you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that that's amazing. It might be the lemon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Maybe. you're giving too much credit to the lemon, but let's talk <laughs> the lemon. So um, even from very far away, I can tell you, I feel a connection to you. I too was trained in professional kitchens and I staged under a chef who added a drop of lemon on the line before the dish went out. And I have a, a, a tart palate. Um, I love acid. And that's been my theme, my thing too. Um, and I understand that when you were writing this book and as it's come to fruition and so many have embraced it, you found a whole camaraderie, a family of people who that's right. right say the same thing. I had lemon. I've gotten so many. <laughs> I've gotten so many messages from people saying, "Oh my God, that's my motto too." Or, you know, <laughs> as this one woman saying that, you know, my husband tells me I add too much lemon to everything, and then I showed him this book, and, and he piped down. So, I think it's funny. There's a whole bunch of us out there. Like, you know, I I don't think it needs to be super acidic. Although, like you, I have an acidic palate. But it's just more about bringing that last little drop of freshness to really brighten things up, which is, you know, I think you can tell from the book, I like bright flavors. I like to showcase fresh produce, and I just want it to be simple. But I want you to taste everything. And and like salt, lemon can also help, um, you know, make an ingredient thing. For sure. And sometimes it's the, um, when you can't put your finger on it, but it just needs something I, I find right. acid does that for sure. Um, I truly wish yeah. that I could cook with you, uh, a, a, a good goal to have. But, oh, uh, but can we, can yeah, we cook virtually? One day. Can we cook virtually, though? I want to cook from the yeah, book with go. you. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, you are very vegetable-centric, as you just mentioned, albeit not vegetarian, um, but veggie-centric. No. And you have an artistic, skillful hand with salad. And if you could teach us those ways on the cover of the cookbook, the Castelfranco with warm chestnut thyme and prosciutto with a Chardonnay and honey Mm. vinaigrette, that is Mm. extraordinarily beautiful and I'm sure scrumptious. Great. Well, now's the time actually, you know, in autumn months and autumn and winter months, this is when you want to be eating that chicory family of salads. So that's your radicchio. Castelfranco, a little bit more specialized, but I think you can find it. So this salad is just all about those beautiful leaves and then layering in a few different ingredients. Mm. Chestnuts are also coming into season in the autumn months. They take a little bit of work to peel, but then I just, once they're peeled, I cook them slowly in some olive oil with some thyme, and they just become this, like, velvety, gorgeous, rich texture. 
um, that you layer into the salad with prosciutto, a little bit of fresh ricotta. Mm. And then the dressing is kind of the thing that I get asked most about in the restaurant, actually, which is just a basic vinaigrette. But I have a big section about how to make the vinaigrette and how to dress the salad. And then that's what you toss the leaves in. And finally, a little drizzle of some good aged balsamic vinegar and some fresh thyme leaves. And this is a salad that I think a lot of people would really be surprised by. Every time I serve it, people are, it steals the show. Hmm. I, I, I can completely understand why. Uh, when you talk about salad tips, uh, share with us if you would. Uh, you talk about, and well, I love in the book, uh, the seasoning, right? Especially, most importantly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, most importantly, I always add salt into the vinaigrette, and I think most people just don't add enough. I also add a sprinkle of salt onto the leaves themselves. Um, but I think tasting, you know, you have to get a good vinegar if you're making a salad with vinegar as opposed to citrus. It has to be something high quality for it to really shine. And the, that, those ratios that people give a lot of times, like four to one oil to vinegar, for me is too much oil, not enough vinegar. So I tend to go a bit more in the three to one category, but taste it, you know, mix your vinaigrette, sprinkle some on a, on a lettuce leaf, and that will tell you what the final salad is going to be like. Don't just taste the vinaigrette on its own, taste it all together. Okay. I, I, by the way, uh, I marked every recipe I can't wait to make. So this is an entirely <laughs> selfish conversation on my part. Uh, the right. whole roasted pumpkin, <laughs> but at least I was forthright. The whole roasted pumpkin stuffed with wild mushrooms and gray air. That is a holiday centerpiece. Oh, definitely. And you could also make that one vegetarian, which I think is great because I, I always struggle to find vegetarian dishes for the holidays. But this one's very stunningly beautiful and also equally as delicious to eat. So I take a whole pumpkin. Um, you know, you can scale this up or down depending on the size of pumpkin and the group that you're feeding, but something kind of small, medium works best. I, I take out the top, pull it off and scoop out the center, and then you layer in some sautéed onions and mushrooms, a bit of like, you know, day-old sourdough slices or whatever bread you have. Mm. Um, and then you add in thyme, some cream, the gruyere, and, and don't forget too, it doesn't have to be wild mushrooms. It could be whatever mushrooms you have access to. And then I pop the top back on and I just roast the whole thing in the oven. It takes a little while to cook, a couple hours, but then you can take it out and just let it sit. It'll stay nice and warm for a long time. Mm. Um, and it comes out just bubbling and oozing and delicious and you can take the top off the pumpkin and just scoop in and dig out all of that pumpkin cheesy mushroom oh. goodness it's, it's really cool when we come back the force that is danielle alvarez and why you should always add lemon chef jamie gwen in your radio don't go away We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Elevate any dish with a squeeze of lemon. The new cookbook release from Danielle Alvarez, culinary superstar, is what we're dishing on. Fennel braised in chicken fat. Uh, yeah. I so, grew up in a Jewish family. Anything braised in chicken fat, bring it on. So this actually comes from my mom's roast chicken, which I have 
a recipe for in the book, but she would always put loads of fennel um, and lemon slices underneath the chicken. And I I love the chicken, but honestly, my favorite part of the dish is the fennel of that would like stick to the base of the pan in in the chicken drippings mm. and all of that. So that were, that's where this came from. It was just an express way to get to the best bit of the roast chicken for me. Yeah, and I I have a very similar culinary memory from growing up my mom always did carrots and they caramelized the same way under a Sunday roast chicken and so she would take the chicken out to you know let it rest and carve it and then I would with my fingers and I I still do today I would eat the caramelized (laughs) carrots that stuck to the bottom of the pan that's the best part that's it yes yeah it's the best so so that's basically what this dish is just sliced fennel wedges some lemon, a bit of chicken fat, um, mm. a little bit of butter as well, thyme, salt, and cooked in the oven. I wonder if your access to ingredients in Australia is um, similar to what you were, I will say it, so spoiled by. I mean, even at Chez Panisse, I mean, you, you, you well, had whatever you wanted, right? Yeah, I mean, I will say it's different. Like, it's, I don't, it's not the you know, every day of the week there's a farmer's market. It's not like that here. And, and getting some of the more specialized produce, like the Castelfranco lettuce, you have to really know who to go to. And a lot of times it's one small farmer that, you know, grows a million different things and you only get two heads of this, two bits of that. But I'm lucky that through the restaurant I've been able to build those relationships. But it's not quite to the scale of California, for sure. So it's a little more challenging. Sure. No, we're very blessed here, no doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to make your oven-roasted prawns with nasturtium and miso butter, even if you couldn't get your hands on nasturtium leaves. This is very brilliant. It's a two-ingredient umami bomb, I guess you would call it. That's right. Right? Yeah, so nasturtium has a lot of people I don't think know. They just see it as something decorative, but it has an incredible flavor of capers and kind of like sharp sort of horseradishy flavor. Um, so if you can find them, and I guess springtime is more the time of year where where you'd find these, yes. you know, out in the wild and you just give them a wash, you can use them. Um, but you can buy them. I think I've seen like at grocery stores, some, some of them have them. But I just blend some softened butter with a bit of white miso and some picked nasturtium petals. And the butter turns this really, really gorgeous, like bright red, orangey color. And then I slather that onto some uh, some prawns or some shrimps that have been cut down the center um, and then roast them in the oven and serve that with a bit of lemon. And it's honestly, as you say, it's a couple ingredients, but... It really delivers a lot of flavor. Oh, butter and miso and shrimp combined. I, as you're talking mm. about it, I'm thinking, I think I have white miso paste in the fridge. <gasps> of course I have butter. <laughs> I bet a lot of people do yes. in the back. <laughs> yeah, right? And and then you're thinking, do I still have those shrimp in the freezer? Or can, yeah. Yeah, can I go get fresh, right? I mean, the, the, those ideas are, are swimming in my head. Um, the braised chicken you make? With the almonds, the olives, the raisins, the preserved lemon. So Middle Eastern inspired. What a beautiful winter braise. It is. It's excellent. I I think it's really comforting. And this is one that you could easily make, um, you know, midweek. It's a very simple one. Mm. Um, It has a lot of that kind of braising liquid in it, which I love because I'll always serve this with something like couscous that Mm. just absorbs all of that liquid um, and... Nice. You know, a bit of fresh mint, some fresh coriander on top, and it's, mm. it's excellent. So I, I brown the chicken, 
and then I saute some some onions. I add in garlic, uh, a bit of chicken stock, and then the the really the things that deliver on the flavor is a bit of honey and a bit of vinegar, in with that braising liquid. So then cook those in the oven, and finish with some toasted almonds and some raisins, and mm. it's got the sweet, the sour, the salty, all of that. Serve it with some couscous. It's a full dinner. Always add lemon is the highly anticipated first cookbook from Danielle Alvarez. Uh, Definitely considered one of the most exciting young chefs cooking in Australia today, uh, hailing from the U.S., of course. Uh, She takes all the lessons and the skills and the tastes that she acquired working alongside some of the best chefs in America, and she translates them, rather, um, for a home cook's repertoire. This is elevated, beautiful food that is doable. This is an inspiring collection. This is nourishing, seasonal, lovely food. And if you were to collect one cookbook this season, I'm telling you, uh, this should be it. It's called Always Add Lemon. The author, Danielle Alvarez, um, the book on Amazon on its way to number one. And you can follow at Danielle Marie Alvarez, at Danielle Marie Alvarez. Danielle, we're watching you. We know that there, oh. there are greater things <laughs> even in your future. And until then, I will be cooking from the book. So, um, so kudos and thank you. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate that. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of Delicious Conversation. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for this week. I bought a beautiful filet of Atlantic salmon a few days ago, and I made this super simple recipe packed with flavor. It came together in 20 minutes, so I think you should make it for dinner tonight. It's my miso salmon baked in parchment, and it is literally five ingredients and just so good. You combine brown sugar, soy sauce, hot water, and some miso, and you stir it with a whisk, and then you cut pieces of parchment paper, and you fold them in half so that you have a crease, and you lay a handful of uh, sugar snap peas or uh, any green vegetable you like that cooks quickly, by the way, down on the paper, put a filet of salmon on top and spoon the miso mixture over each piece of salmon. Then you fold the parchment paper over and you crease the edges to create like a paper packet, right? This is called in papillote in French. Sounds so fancy, but it's so simple. And then you bake them on a cookie sheet for about 20 minutes. And I have to tell you, it's a luscious dish. Looks super impressive but super easy. And by the way, I keep a tub of miso in my fridge at all times. You should too. My miso salmon baked in parchment will be posted right away on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend when I promise there will be lots more fabulous food in your radio. I thank you as always for listening. I hope that you stay healthy I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.